0: The night, you cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield. No trouble's leaping near. Whom shall I fear?
1: to me. And uh, the whole purpose of the series, the idea behind it is that there's a lot of different lies that Satan tells us in order to get off track in our walk with God. And uh, let me just try to give you an example. One thing I said told the first service this morning is I said whenever I die, I don't want to die dumb. You know, where just something, you something stupid happens, and you're like, and you read about me in the paper. and Go, man, I can't believe that that somebody would do something like that. I, I don't want to be that guy. But there's all of all of us have made some some bad choices and decisions in our life where we look back and think, man, I can't believe I did that. And I read a story about two two young teenagers who decided they wanted to rob a bank. This is going to be one of those stories where you go, not a good idea. And so they decide they're going to rob a bank, they put, these, uh, they put these masks on, they have pillowcases, they, they, it's armed robbery, they run into the bank, and they run to the clerk and they say, put it all in. And he looks at them, and uh, the clerk does, he says, put what in? And they said, the money. And now what the boys did not know is that they were robbing, not a bank, but a library. And so the clerk at the time had not collected more than a dollar in fines, and so that's why he was a little confused. So he went back to the back room and said, I'll get the money, he called the police. The police show up and uh, they arrest the boys and they're dumbfounded and they're talking to the boys and they're saying, what in the world do you guys stand, why are you robbing a library? And uh, they said, we thought it was the bank. And the, what had happened is the bank was across the street from the library. And it looked just like the library but had scaffolding in front of it and so they could not see uh, the sign that said, that said bank so they went into the wrong building. That is, those guys were not, they're not geniuses. You know, they're not very smart people. And the fact, though, is that none of us can plead not guilty to doing stupid things in life. I'm sure that I can have y'all, like we could go around the room and I'd say, Hey, just name something stupid that your spouse has done. And I'm sure we could be here all day. And so all of us have done, have done dumb things. But the Bible actually tells us that we have. Uh, Romans 3.23 Says, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, and so my question is, well, where did this whole thing of sin come from? You know, why, why did we get you know why did we get to this point in life where, where we all end up making bad decisions at one point or another? Well, this is where our series comes from. Lie to me. It all begins because uh, it all begins actually back in the book of Genesis. And if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 3 today. So you can turn there. But it all starts back in the book of Genesis. Very first people created. Y'all remember who they were? Roger and Mary. That's right. Uh, Adam and Eve. Very first people created. And they lived in a perfect place. And then sin entered into the world. What happened? The devil came along. And the devil tempted them. Got them to fall into a sinful lifestyle that knocked them off the track in their relationship with God. And the lie that Satan told them is a very simple one that we still buy into today. And that is, God cannot be trusted. And it was a lie they bought into and it transformed in a bad way their lives forever. And we still today buy into the lie that God cannot be trusted. And so my hope for us today is that we're going to be able to examine this lie that God can't be trusted and discover and find out that God is, that God's honest and that God has a plan for our lives and that God has a desire for good in our lives. And so my hope is that we'll be able to learn how to ignore the lies of Satan and hang on to the promises and the goodness of God. And so we'll look in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. A little background information right here. Uh, At this time, Adam and Eve were living in the Garden of Eden. And I know you've heard of that. Garden of Eden was like, it was the perfect place. God gave them a very simple command. This was their rule that they had to follow. Okay, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 is what God told them. He said, you are free. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat. From the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will die. Now, that's a pretty straight is that pretty straightforward command. Uh, That is not a command you read and think, man, God is being cryptic here. You know, I mean, what's what's the command? You can eat of any tree in the garden, but one. That's it. And so they 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 sit here. They they hear this command, and they know what God wants. And yet, amazingly, from this very simple command, the devil comes along and he begins to whisper in the ear of Adam and Eve. He begins to tell them, hey, God can't be trusted. And you know what they bought? They bought into it. And it transformed their lives forever. And guys, let me tell you something. We still, today, we buy into this lie that God can't be trusted. And it affects our lives. And we fall into what is known as sin. So the question is, how does does Satan con you and me into sin. And if you can find it right here in Genesis chapter 3. He still uses the same method and so many times I'm still a sucker for it. So how does God condescend us into sin? How does Satan condescend us into sin? very first way, he cast doubt on God's word. That's how it all begins. Satan calls us into sin by getting us to doubt what God says. Uh, and you can see this in chapter 3. Let's see verse number 1. And it says, now the serpent, and this is The devil's disguising himself as a serpent. He was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now notice this. He said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? No, what did God, what did he told Adam and Eve? He said, you can eat from any tree you want to, but one. What does the devil do? He comes in and he begins to cast doubt on this very simple command. And he says to him, he said, hey, did God really say that? I mean, was, was God, did, are you sure you heard him say that? I mean, because it doesn't make sense in one aspect. You think we can eat from any tree that we want to? Why in the world would God limit, limit us in any kind of way? You know, did, did God really say that? And so the effects of the devil's word here is it began to, it began to cause Adam and Eve to wonder, well, did he really say that? You know, surely he wouldn't have a command like that that's going to be that harsh. But you know, whenever we begin to doubt God's word and what his word says, that will lead you into the... It is, it is the very first step into disobedience to God. The devil still does it today. He, he still says to us today, did God really say that? Yeah, this book right here. Yeah, you can tell people what this book says, I can tell myself and yet many, many times we say, did He really say that? You know, did, did God really say, that? whenever God gives us a command about how we are to treat one another, that we are to love our enemies did God really say that? Whenever the Bible tells us that we are to honor Him with our bodies, that we are to keep our bodies pure that that's a sexual relationship is only to take place within marriage what do we do? Did God really say that? You know, I think some mean old man said that. I don't think God said that. I think my mother made that up. I think God said that. And so we began to cast doubt on all these different things that God says. We look at the Bible today and say, did God really say that there's only one way to heaven? And it's through His Son Jesus Christ? You know, did y'all know that, that is not a very, that's not a very popular one today? Many people don't Why well, It's politically incorrect because we are saying that there's only one God. Well, that doesn't seem very fair. Did God really say that? I mean, is it, is it really logical to believe that God raised somebody from the dead? That He can? Is it logical to believe that this book is actually something that is from God? Now, it's interesting to me to see that the very first step that Satan uses in order to get us to move away from the leadership of God is he causes us to begin to have doubts about what God's word says. Now Eve, when she heard him saying these things, she said, No, God God did say that we can eat from any tree but, but one. And so she does good here. She refutes what the devil says. But you know what her problem was? Is she hung around and listened to him. And she just stayed there for a while. And before long, what happened was well, she began to wonder. She began to doubt. And before she knew it, she was following her doubts instead of following the truth of God. Um, this is, I guess I can try to give an example of that like this. Train crossings, as we all know, they can be, they can be rather dangerous, right? Um, We, where we live, where Emily and I live, we live over near Hobart Road. I don't know if y'all have ever driven down Hobart Road. Y'all know the train crossing right there? That's a scary one. there's no gates that go down. There's actually been people killed there. Uh, But what's interesting about these trains, and we all know trains whenever they're, trains don't have brakes like cars, you know. It's not like the conductor sees somebody come out and he just slams on the brakes and it comes to a stop. If it's a hundred, if it's a hundred car train, it weighs about 12 million pounds, and it will take it over a mile to come to a complete stop. Now, when there's no gate, and it's really deceiving because a train can actually outrun its sound. So whenever you look at a train, it looks like it's a long ways off. It could look like it's a, a mile away, going really slow, going 30 miles an hour. When in fact, it's only a half a mile away and it's going 60 miles an hour. And so what happens is you can, you can get on those tracks. think i got plenty of time. Or I can, I can beat that train across. And if you hang out too long, what's going to happen? That train will get up on you quicker than you realize and it will knock you off the tracks. Now, I tell you that because I believe that's exactly how Satan works with doubt. He causes us to begin to ponder and wonder, is what God says true? And we hang around on those doubts for a while until it's too late, until Satan gets up on us really quick and he knocks us off the tracks because we've entertained the idea for too long that maybe what God says isn't true. So how does, how does Satan con us into sin? Well, he, ca- he casts doubt on God's word. But he also cons us into sin in a very simple way. He lies. The devil lies about God's word. And you can see this in, in, verse number stu- in verse number 2 with the story of Adam and Eve. It says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Look at what, look what the devil said. No. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. God said you can't, you can't even touch it. Can't even, you don't eat it. You don't touch it. Because if you do, you're going to die. And here's the lie. Satan says he didn't say that. Satan absolutely did not say He said, you will not die. Now, here's a question I was thinking about. Why is the devil even doing this? You know, I mean, why does he care about Adam and Eve? Why is, he, why is he trying to get them to trip up and fall? Why is, why is he even worried about people like us? Why would he cause us or want to cause us to, to move away from the leadership of God? Well, you have to go back to the history of who the devil is. You know who the devil is? You know who he was originally? He used to be an angel. He used to be a, a, a great angel, a significant angel, but he became prideful. He wanted more. He wanted to be more than God. We're told about this in Isaiah 14, 12-14. It says, How you've fallen from heaven, O morning stars, the devil, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the throne, enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And so because of his desire to worship himself, God booted him out along with a bunch of other angels who followed him. Okay, so that's the history of the devil. Devil does not like God. And so whenever he's kicked out of heaven, he's like, well, I can't stay there. I'm I'm going to screw up all of creation. I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to try to mislead people to destroy them. That's why Jesus tells us about the devil in John 8, 44. He says he is a murderer. He's a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is... He's a what? He's a liar. And he is the father of lies. If you know somebody is a liar, you think you ought to pay attention to them? If you know a liar is telling you directions, are you going to follow him? now we sit in here all day long and say absolutely not and yet for some strange reason when it comes to the devil we believe the lies. what's up with that? why do we believe the lies? why do we follow after what he says? he he told Adam and Eve he said you won't die. if you don't follow God there's a price to pay death. now you can say well Adam and Eve were stupid Here's the, this, I just thought about this the other day. Did you, you know how many people had died at this point? Whenever God said, if you do this, you will die, you know how many people have died at this point? Zero. They don't even know what death is. So what does the devil do? He downplays the penalty to make you more apt to give into to it. So that penalty is really not that bad. Adam and Eve, death. It's not that bad. They didn't know anything about it. Guys, guys, do you see that? Do you see, do you see how the devil operates? He tries to get you to believe this life is all that you have. It's all that we know. But if we are disobedient to God and we stand separated from God, we we die and then we face judgment. What's the devil tell us? Not that big of a deal. You know, if if, if you die. And and you, you're separated from God. You're going to party with all your friends. Well, let me tell you something. You read the Bible lately? Isn't that what the Bible says about hell? It's a place of weeping. It's a place of gnashing of teeth. Now, I look at the truth of what God says. I better pay attention to it because if I buy into the lie, oh, guys, boy, it's going to be scary. Yeah, I try to, a lot of times in my own life, I try to minimize the penalty of something so that I feel a little more free to do it. The example I can give you is in driving. I I do this often. Driving, I think, you know, if I speed a little bit, the police won't pull me over. Right, Harry? You know, five miles an hour, ten miles. You get in those convoys, like in Atlanta. You all ever been in those convoys? People drive like 7,000 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, if I'm only going 200, the cops aren't going to pull me over because everybody else is doing it so it's got to be okay. I've done that before. 2005 Thanksgiving. I have five kids in the van. The the Windstar, which is a I'm telling you. Y'all you know, that car is it's on top gear. It's one of the most it's the hottest car around. The Windstar, blue Windstar. I'm driving like getting traffic. Got a bunch of kids in the car. Emily's with me. She's telling me to slow down. I'm thinking I'm going to kill somebody if we don't hurry up and get where we're going. And so I get in the convoy, and I'm driving along, and I'm thinking, no way, cops will pull me over. Guess what he did? He picks me. I'm getting past. He picks the Windstar. I'm like, what about the Ferrari? You know, he picks the Windstar, he pulls, he pulls me over, and I, I had just suckered myself into thinking the penalty wasn't going to be that great, even though I was going 35 miles an hour over the speed limit. I paid a big price for that. But I, I minimalized the penalty to give myself freedom to do what I wanted to do. But let me tell you something, there is a price to pay when we do that. What is, your, what is the foundation in your life? Is it your feelings? This is what I want to do. Because if it's what I want to do, then it's got to be okay. You, know, surely, God, you know, surely God wants me to be happy. And so I know this seems like it's breaking the rules, but everybody else is doing it. If I live according to my feelings... I'm going to be nuts. Because my feelings some days are good and the other days are bad. When Carolina wins, it's good. When they don't win, it's not so good. If I live according to my feelings, I'm going to be schizophrenic. And so if I'm going to base my life off of something, I want to base my life off of something that has a solid and a steady foundation regardless of what circumstances are doing. That I know I can hold true because this is truth. So what is truth? What is the foundation for me? It's what God says. It's God's word. Isaiah 48. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. What does that mean? It's lasting. It's truth. It stands for all time. When God makes a promise, you know what God does with those promises? He keeps them. He is honest. Joshua 23, 14 says you know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Have you seen that? God keeps his word. So how does Satan, if that's true, how does Satan condescend to sinning? He casts doubt. He casts doubt on God's word. And then he lies about what God's word says. How else is he condescending to sin? It's the last one. It's a real simple one here. He promises his way is better. Okay, now who is Satan? What's his character? What did Jesus say about him in John 8, 44? you got to remember this one. He's a liar. What does Satan do? He promises. Do you believe the promises of a liar? He promises his way is better. Verse number five. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, this fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. I mean, what's he doing? And he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. What happened here? They believed a liar. Let me ask you this question. Y'all have to answer this. What, what role did Adam and he, Eve have in our world at this time? How many other people were on the planet at this time? Zero. You know what that means they were? They are the king and the queen of earth. I know some of y'all thought you were. Adam and Eve, they, they really are. They're the king and queen of earth. You know what Adam got to do? He got to name all the animals. I mean, how cool is that? That would be like a fun, I mean, that would be a fun job. I think we'll call that an work. You know, he's this great job. I mean, he's in charge of all creation. Eve is, I mean, she's, she's the one that gets to tell Adam what to do, right? We all know that. So, I mean, this is, the, they're the king and queen of earth. And then the devil comes along and says, I can give you more than that. I mean, is that crazy? You can have more than that. He tells him. he said, God's holding out on you. I mean, I know you're the king and queen of earth, but you can actually be like God. And what does Eve do? She bites into it hook, line, and sinker. And if you look in verse number 6, she saw the, tr- the fruit of the tree is good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. And what she did, She took some and she ate it. What did God say? He said, don't do this. She does it. She said, "I God, I think you're holding out on me. At this time, and the devil's like telling her, Adam and Eve, you guys are running around naked like a bunch of crazy people. And if you eat of this fruit, you're going to have knowledge. You're going to be like God. Y'all, this story is like looking in a mirror. Just like they just wanted more. We are the same way. We're never satisfied with what God gives. Now when I say never, I don't mean never. But just in general, so many of us, we, we are not satisfied with what we have. What do we have here? Now we're not the king and queen of earth. Well, God is, What does God provide us? God provides us with the ability to communicate with Him. He provides us with the opportunity to experience forgiveness. He he provides us with the opportunity to have family, to enjoy fellowship, to see the blessings of God. And what do we focus on so many times? God's holding out on me. I can't get what I want. I'm not happy. I have to follow all these rules and regulations. And because of that, I quit. I'm not going to do it anymore. And the devil tricks us into following after him with like this instant gratification junk. God tells me I can't have it now, but I want it now. And so we go after instant gratification. And it's fun, but it doesn't satisfy. Because the things of this world are temporary. They don't bless us. The ways of this world lead to death, the Bible says. The ways of God lead to life. And you know, it's just so many times we... We want it now. We, want, we can't deny ourselves anymore. You know, I'm not going to deny myself. I'm going to get it right now. You know, y'all, the, the root of our economic problems that we are facing today, I read a book called The Big Short. You know, it's, it comes down to greed. It comes down to we're the king of the world, but we want more. You know, I'm not satisfied with that. Uh, in reading this book, it was just talking about you know, banks were, they were told, they, you have to give loans to people who can't afford these loans. Now it worked out to be a good deal for them because they could make money off these floating interest rates and then the people who were buying the homes liked it because and they couldn't afford the house but they were getting a loan to be able to get it, to get it now. That sounds good, except for there comes a day when you have to pay a price for it. That's where we are. So how do we get past instant gratification? By taking a long look. You know, that's hard to do, but it's by taking a long look, saying, not not what does this do for me right now, but how does this play out for me in the future? Down the road, how does this work out for me? That's a good that's a good way to make decisions. It's a good way to make decisions concerning your faith. How does this work out in the long run? A great story of this is the story of Moses. You might remember he was born into slavery, and at the time Pharaoh was killing all the baby boys, wanted to control the population. Moses' parents, you remember what they did with him? Huh? Y'all, y'all get to participate. What do they do? They put him in a basket, right? And I know some of us think, I, I'd like to do that. Take your kid and chunk him in a basket. So they put him in a basket. They put him in a river because they want him to survive somehow. God would just put him in a basket. You Take care of him somehow. But lo and behold, he's floating down the river and Pharaoh's daughter, I mean, what are the odds of this? She's down there bathing and a baby comes floating by. And she grabs the kid. She rescues that baby. And there he is right there. As he rescues that he rescues that baby, takes care of that baby. This baby's born into slavery; he's now raised up royalty. Now, did Moses take advantage of all that royalty? Did he hang on to it for himself? Now, it says that, that he refused to be identified with Pharaoh's family because he wanted he remembered his people. We're told in Hebrews eleven twenty four through twenty six by faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. What is up with that? Why? Rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He realized that instant gratification is only instant. It only lasts for a season. Sin is fun, but not forever. It only lasts for a season. And then there's a price to pay. And so he said, I'm going to cast my lot of things. It's difficult to deny myself, but I will do it because there is a reward in the future. Moses took the long view. You take the long view in your life. When you make decisions, how are you making them? you making them because that's what everybody else is doing? It's kind of fun? Or are you making decisions saying, you know what? Whenever I became a follower of Jesus, I died to myself. I live for him now. I belong to him. And I trust that He loves me. And I trust that He has a plan for my life. Adam and Eve, they went instant gratification. They paid a price for it. They ended up empty. How can we avoid from ending up empty? Choose Jesus. We're told in Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. <laughs> You want to prevail in life, you go after the Lord's purpose. You want to experience victory and fullness in life, we choose Jesus. Is that scary? Yeah. Because it comes down to faith and trust that he is true to his word. You put him to the test and trust him, say, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to see what you do. God's going to come through and he'll be true to his word. Because he always is. Now, the problem is, we have an adversary out there. It's the devil. And he's still telling us lies. A matter of fact, we're told in 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he does it by conning us into sin. How does he con us into sin? He casts doubt on God's word. He lies to us about God's word. And he promises his way is better. Y'all, it's time for us to quit believing a liar. Let's cast our lot with God and let's see what happens.